Grass. We are your hosts, Carrie Wee and Kelly McVeigh. Now part of the Digitent Family Podcast. How's it going, guys? So happy to have you here. Before we get started, if you want to go to the show notes, become part of our family, opt in for our email uh, list. You will get newsletters from us, uh, any breaking news, etc. And today we're so excited to have Aaron Link. He is somebody that I've known since I was in the first grade. We went to school together. He is from the small town of Newark, Ohio. And uh, I chased him down via LinkedIn because uh, I knew he was working for GM. And he's got such a unique job and such an exciting job. He's the global vehicle performance manager of Chevrolet Performance Cars. Uh, he's been working for GM for over 20 years, and uh, I will let him explain to you exactly what that means. Um, and uh, we catch up, too, because, uh, you know, we've known each other since we were kids. All right, guys, let's get started. Aaron, I spent the last couple of days just perusing, you know, uh, stalking you on the Internet. <laughs> uh-huh. And and you guys just had you guys just had a huge vehicle come out. We did, yeah. Brand new Corvette that's never been done in 70 years, right? So pretty amazing to be part of this history. Oh my God. So what does that even mean? Hasn't been done in 70 yeah, years. Yeah, it was out, out your way, actually. I, I had introduced it in LA for us at the Peterson Museum. Oh, that's amazing. And um, so it's the first all-wheel drive Corvette ever. So all four wheels doing the work and hybrid and then the first electrified Corvette. Yes. So it's like a, a jump into the future without being too much of a leap for most people. Like to go full electric on a Corvette is kind of a step that it's going to take a while. <laughs> um, but yeah, Aaron, so my dad listens to some of our podcasts uh-huh. here and there and I was like, you won't, you won't believe who I'm recording today. And I told him and he was like, oh my gosh, t- tell me more. And I was like, well, I don't, I mean, you know me, like, I don't know much about cars at all. So I'm, I'm along for the ride for this one for sure. But he seemed very okay. pumped and very excited. So you grew up in Newark. I, I mean, small town, yeah. crazy. Yeah, right. How did you break free <laughs> and get out? Well, yeah, it's a good story. So it's funny when I go back home now, it seems like everything's so close. Yeah. You know, and back in the day, it was like, oh, yeah. that's forever. It's in Heath. <laughs> it's forever over there. Yeah. And now yeah. it's so, so small feeling. Um, but I like that. You know, I like that it hasn't changed much. But anyhow, um, yeah, I'm an only child. So went to St. Francis from the get-go and then Newark Catholic with Carrie the whole way. And and then when I went to yeah. apply for colleges, it was funny um, looking back now. Like I wanted to go to USC really bad. And my parents like, you're, you're not going to USC. <laughs> like, you're our only son. We're not sending you 1,500 miles away or 2,000 miles away. So uh, we drew a six-hour radius around Columbus and said, pick a school within this circle. And, you know, there's plenty to choose from. But yeah. I ended up picking Virginia Tech. Um, I hadn't really okay. heard of it much. Uh, I'd look, I was looking at UVA, but for engineering, Virginia Tech's far superior. So once we did a visit there, I was sold. And that was partly why, um, I guess, to get back to your question of getting out, like that was really spreading my wings at that point to go far away from home. You know, it was five hours, yeah, uh, but, you know, three states away and very different culture and a southern southern atmosphere which i loved and i miss it every day so that's how it kind of got got um the feeling of wanting to explore a little and and learn about myself i didn't really want to go locally um it just would have felt too familiar and i kind of i just felt like i wanted something very different from central ohio so when you went into engineering did you like have like a passion and a love for cars like did you do did you choose engineering with the mindset that you were going to do something with cars or are they totally two separate things and you've always Mm -hmm. had a passion for cars no it i had it from very young age um i remember we taking like aptitude tests in high school and 
um, I think it was either a pilot or some sort of engineer for me. That was the strengths I had or what would have played well for me to make me happy. You know, I just, yeah, the car bug was very early for me. My dad was very into cars. All of his friends were, and, you know, the people I knew and associated with were. And then I started to get to know how to drive um, growing up near mid-Ohio, up in Lexington. That was only an hour and 15 minutes away. And so that bug quickly got me of, wow, I love driving you know, as fast as I can in machines that are made to do that. So, yeah, I guess I never decided like I have to be an automotive engineer, but when all was said and done, that was clearly what fit me best. When I graduated from Virginia Tech, it was 2000. Um, it came down to General Motors, where I work now, or uh, Exxon Mobil. And so they were both recruiting on campus. And I think the Exxon one would have paid a little more to start, but they couldn't really tell me if I was going to be somewhere in the Gulf of Mexico on an oil rig or you know, a processing facility. It just didn't really sound that awesome. And then General Motors came and it was like, we have a two-year rotation program when you start. For us, you have four to six rotations get to know the company and then find out where you want to be. So that was the perfect fit for me. And I've always, my dad's a GM guy, a Chevy guy, like there's never been a Ford in our house or Chrysler. Well, there's one Chrysler, but he swore never again after it basically fell apart completely in the seventies and said, (laughs) I will never own one of these piles again. So you've been with GM since school was over. 22 years. Wow. That's crazy that you haven't actually changed. Um, (laughs) I know. Yeah. But obviously they, uh, you love each other because this is uh, this, this role that you're in right now is it's, is it like a dream role? Is there a role above you that does the same thing or is, are you the guy now? You're the guy at the. Um, I would say it's a dream role to answer your first question. It, It, Definitely combines everything I'd love to do. What's interesting at GM is the further you move up, the further you get away from hands-on driving and and like the the work that I love to do and feel like I'm best at, which is having this, um, it's like a sixth sense of knowing how to develop a car so it has the right feel, the right sound the right emotion that it speaks to a customer. So I feel like I'm, I've proven myself in that. And I guess I've been rewarded with, with the job I have now, which is, it's pretty hard to beat. I got to admit. Um, yeah. Cause the last time I saw you was at our <laughs> 20th high school reunion. Yeah. 2015. Right. Uh-huh. Wow. And you were already doing all this. You were, your second child was just born. Yeah, very good. Yeah, 2015. Tell me, tell me about that. Like, what's your family and stuff now? Yeah, two daughters, um, Olivia what's and Avery. They're eighth grade and second grade. So, Olivia, in fact, Aww. this week we need to pick what high school she's going to go to, <laughs> or maybe in the next ten days. So it's interesting up here in Detroit. Okay, uh, most of the Catholic schools are still. Um, single sex, not co-ed. So kind of like old school, you know, Cleveland and Cincinnati have that more so than, than we did in Columbus. So she's applied to two of them, got into both. And now we have to decide. Oh my God. Applying to go into high school. I don't think I would have gotten in. I I know. I I just thought like, well, here's where I go. (laughs) It's pretty straightforward. There's not too much choice. But I love Michigan. Yeah. I love Michigan so much more, more than I thought. I think when you grow up in central Ohio, you're like taught that Michigan is like the worst possible place to go ever. Um, but like, there's some really amazing spots in Michigan. There are. Yeah. You know, it really is such a diverse state. The upper lower peninsula is phenomenal. Um, like over by Traverse City and like Michigan, it really is Caribbean blue water. People are shocked it is it's crazy it, li- it literally looks like caribbean water yeah 
Yeah, you'd never guess because it's all sand bottoms up here. So yeah, you can't pay me enough to live in Michigan, Ohio again. <laughs> Sorry, guys. But well, yeah, wait. you've got a different perspective now. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> but you guys are in this automotive bubble, and Detroit is, or at least I think it has always been. It is. Yeah, the spot. There's yeah. a few um, growing spots. You know, Tesla has uh, quite a bit of presence in Southern California and Texas now. <laughs> and then some of the Korean um, manufacturers have places in California. So there's a little more outside of the bubble here in Detroit, but for automotive, automotive engineering at the big three, this is it by far and away. I'm sure overall your industry has like changed dr- drastically since you started 22 years ago. And I feel like your job is probably particularly has to be in on all of those huge changes. One, I feel like you had that like little financial thing going on. The car industry, I feel like had that financial thing. And I feel like that had to be a lot of, I don't know, I'm asking a lot of pressure in general on all the employees on everything you were doing and, and how to plan and project for years to come. And then two, you mentioned Tesla, like, that even has had a huge impact and change on I'm sure General Motors and a lot of the major companies in Michigan or, you know, wherever, like how has that changed your job? And were those stressful times or do you feel like those moments that were hard pivoted you all as a company to do even greater things than you maybe would have done if those things hadn't happened? Yeah, definitely the latter. Um, yeah, I think going back to your first question, yeah, bankruptcy in 2009 was a, a huge moment nobody would ever foresee, right? Like too big to fail back in the back in the day in the 50s, 60s. Um, but a lot of that kind of complacency caught up with things where the legacy costs of of many years of kind of making concessions and things like that kind of caught up to it and then when the housing uh, crisis hit and then gas prices went through the roof like pretty quickly you know we don't make as much money on a small car as we do on other vehicles that if they're not purchased you know for whatever reason it pretty quickly changes it's an interesting business because you know fuel price can change daily or in a month can can change by multiple percentage, but for us to react, it takes years, you know, to say like, oh, and that's kind of what happened in '09, in my opinion, was um, trucks and SUVs became less purchased, and then you know that's where most of all the manufacturers make most of their money. So it it's too hard to pivot quickly. So I think everything was very educational in that, and now. Uh, we talk a lot about being right-sized so GM can survive and, and persevere and, and succeed in an industry that shrinks if there was another, you know, recession or a uh, housing crisis, God forbid, that we don't have so much overhead that you can't make money when people maybe don't start buying things. And I think COVID's a good example, right, of... Uh, supply chain shortages that were still fight and you know you go past car dealer lots and you know there's lots of parking lot not a lot of vehicles and then uh we've survived and and in fact been really successful uh, over that time so i think yeah if you look at tesla as a disruptor um, is maybe the best way to say it a lot of boutique brands have come and gone over the years where they start up think you know we we know how to do this and it's a difficult business to to work and make money in so they've succeeded um credit to them and seem to be on the forefront and always kind of inventing new things which is impressive so yeah i think that's been a pretty um good wake-up call for all of us and i am really proud of gm and how we've stepped up and been at this forefront of the EV transition now instead of, I bet, you know, GM 15 years ago would have said, Oh, that's not going to happen. We're not going to participate. And now we're, you know, at the leading edge of all that really. 
Yeah. When I saw the Corvette, I was like, wow, like it, I, I feel like some of that gave you took the chains off for you to be able to just like fly and imagine things that maybe you wouldn't have been able to do prior to that. Yeah, true. Yeah. There's always been a desire for all wheel drive in a Corvette. You know, people want to use them year round or, you know, if you get stuck out in the snow or bad weather, you're not feeling like you're abandoned or your car's not going to get you there. So there's always been a desire the move to a mid-engine architecture enables that for us. And then the electrification side is pretty trick where, you know, 10 years ago, the technology wouldn't have been there where we would have had to add thousands of pounds of batteries to get it to make, make any sense at all. But now, you know, it goes so quickly now, the technology improvements that it allows us to add electrification but not lose the corvette spirit which is typically you know a lightweight car that's easy to live with lots of performance and affordable so would you say that's your greatest like 22 years or 20 plus years is that your greatest accomplishment so far um there's a lot you know i've been really fortunate to work on some amazing stuff uh over the years I'll give you a few. <laughs> I don't know if I could say the most, but the first proudest moment was uh, I worked for a group called High Performance Vehicle Operations in 2007, 2008. And we came out with uh, the second generation of the Cadillac CTSV sedan, which was kind of the ideal car for me of a, a family vehicle, but with loads of performance and high performance cred. So that became a standard to which a lot of the German manufacturers were then judged or measured against. And that you never guess, right? A BMW, Mercedes, Audi would be judged against an American sedan. And it we we kind of set that tone. And now there's been two generations since then that are knocking it out of the park as well. So that was kind of the first thing that I was part of. And then after that, I would say the the sixth gen Camaro, which when Carrie and I met up in 2015, I was working on that pretty heavily. And that was a pretty amazing story too, to be part of something from start to finish like that, of a, an entire new generation of Camaro. And everyone, like we always said, everyone kind of has a Camaro story. There's some connection of somebody you knew or somebody you own, some you had you have one yourself or your parents did whatever. So that was really good. But then, yeah, this latest um, moment with Corvette is definitely the highest moment because it's exactly the type of car I would have dreamed of working on. And then in 2000, when I went to GM, I would have never guessed we would be doing what we're doing now and having the approval and having the support to kind of reinvent this whole car after 70 years of its history to now where if you see one hopefully you girls said it as well oh my god i saw one the other day on the 101 it was a beautiful sexy car and you know actually just came in mind when you were talking about the future of these things gavin newsom who is our governor in california us super liberal out here he signed a law that says that I think in 2050, no gas powered vehicles are going to be able to sell here. Right. What are, okay. So I love right. yeah. seeing that type of thing on the news and knowing nothing. Right. So what does that make you think? Like, is that like, is that where um, technology is going anyway? Is that something like, oh shit, this is not good. Is it like, this is great. This is the future. Um. Yeah, I'd say it's it's a little bit of the forcing of the hand that maybe is necessary for this type of industry. Europe's doing that already, and they're aggress- more even more aggressive for how they're leading that. On at this stage of you know some year in the future, here, no more uh, gasoline powered vehicles or, or diesel powered, right? Electric only. There's some cities in Europe now that are already um, electric only you know, for city life. So I think 
we're n- it's not surprising. I think um, it's an interesting scenario in the U.S. Just the physical size of our country um, makes it hard in my in my mind because the infrastructure has to be there to be able to go. You know, from San Francisco to L.A., for instance. Um, you know, you kind of need to know you can get there. Where you're stopping. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of progress in that, but that's, that's a big part of it. That's um, a lot of people talk about. Uh, I had an interesting thought last year, my dad and I went fishing in Montana for fly fishing. And those, some of those Western states are so massive and people rely upon their, their trucks to tow, to haul. Uh, you know, not just for recreation, but for their businesses and their construction work. Like, I don't see it as easy of a sell there where, you know, you need to be able to go, I don't know, a thousand miles a day quickly in a vehicle, which you can do now with a diesel pickup truck. And there's certain elements that I think are an easier match, like city life, you know, downtown in some types of cities, dense environments where... You don't need to go 100 miles. You can just kind of zip around in your electric car and it works really well. So that's, I think, the start of it. And then the expansion into more um, of the rest of the country, it's it's going to take a while. Do you feel like the car technology is there, though? I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, and in fact, we, we see it. Yeah, I didn't answer that part. But absolutely, the... The things we're doing on the battery side in GM are pretty astounding. Um, partnering with pretty high, high performing companies, you know, that are battery experts. Um, and then we have a partnership with Honda to uh, jointly develop some vehicles where you can share some of the big investment costs. Oh, nice. But then still make them, make them uniquely your brands, things like that. I do feel like the technology is pretty good. Heard a couple of times that electric cars too, that it's supposed to be for the environment, but that in the whole long run with, you know, I don't, I don't even know what I'm saying, the battery or whatever, like, is it, are they better for the environment overall? They are. Yeah. Reducing our dependence on fossil fuels, right. Is kind of the the name of the game. Um, Producing electricity requires some form of fuel to do that, obviously, but there's a lot more clean ways to do it with water power or wind power or nuclear alternative fuels, things like that. So I think the the net result is definitely a benefit. I think seeing that industry then expand into more, um, like the heavy trucking industry is a good one um, where that can really have a big impact. I haven't gotten an electric car. And one of the things in my mind is when that battery dies, like, am I just shedding away all the savings that I've made on gas? Oh, like over many years? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it going to end up costing just as much as all that gas would have been over time? No. Aaron's going to go into work tomorrow and he's going to be like, oh my gosh, I was on this podcast. Two girls, they knew nothing about cars. It was horrific. The whole time they were asking me random questions. No, no. It's fine. No, I'm happy to help. Uh, You know, there's something I I can help. Says everybody who we interview, Kelly, because we don't know anything about anything that we don't know about. Dancing, you guys. We know about yeah. We do. That's why we do this because we're educating others, educating ourselves at the same time. That's right. No, Carrie, I think it it does. Um, the shelf life, I think, on some of these batteries we have now is seven to ten years. Okay, so they last that long because everyone knows, right? From just you know small double A batteries, you use over time they lose output. And if you have rechargeable rechargeable batteries, they tend to just slowly lose capacity. Corrosion builds up or things like that that prevent that. So um, at that stage, you essentially get a new one. If you didn't want a new vehicle, you could re-up and get a new battery pack within your vehicle that, um, you know, starting from, from 
uh, 100% capability then, I guess you could say. Okay. You want to know what kind of car you drive? Well, right now I've got a Cadillac CT5 Blackwing, which is uh, the descendant of the car I mentioned earlier that I worked on. So it's an SUV? 15 years ago. No, sedan. Oh, it's a sedan. Okay. Yeah. A really fast sedan, 668 horsepower. So it is perfect for my life and my driving style and fits all the kids. And um, you get the perks. Do you get like um, to choose car? Like, do you get special anything? Kind of, sort of. Yeah. At a a certain level with GM, um, you get a company car. And then at a certain higher level, you get to pick exactly what you want. But um, I've been able to really find the right folks to be able to help me. I'm not at that next level, but of uh, you can get on lists of testing the vehicles in the your regular life. It becomes your your daily car, and then you have to report out weekly on things you find, the mileage you've accumulated, fuel economy, etc. So it's it works really well. Yeah. If you're a car person, you probably are into doing that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's always a new car, right? Like you're, you're always adjusting to something new and it's really fun. When you do what you do, like, do you draw it out? Do you do it on a computer? Do you, how, what is your, like, what do you do? Like, I have no idea. It's difficult to explain. I was laughing the other day. Um, there used to be a show, I think, where they would ask kids what their parents do. And <laughs> you would they would get it completely wrong of, you know, oh, I think my dad works with cars somewhere. He, he drives fast cars. I'm not sure. I, something like that, you know. So I always think of that. So my title is Vehicle Performance Manager and uh, for, for Chevrolet Performance Cars. So that's Corvette and Camaro. And... Um, in a, at a high level, I would say we're like car whisperers. So you kind of use art and science to develop the the appeal of the car, I guess you could say, especially in our segments. Like nobody really has to have a Corvette to survive. You know, like it's not a work vehicle. Typically, it's uh, it's more of a pleasure vehicle or a aspirational purchase. So coming up with the DNA of what the makes the car feel drive sound like it does like that's our job. And so there's science where we apply a lot of principle engineering principles and, and tribal knowledge of years of doing this, of how you want this Corvette to be like the last one or, or succeed it in a, in the proper way. But then there's an art to it as well of seat of the pants, you know, what do you feel in your butt? What do you hear with your ears of developing the right feel? And that's really what I, I feel like um, is the fun part of the job. And debating that with uh, within our team, you know, of, well, I think it's too loud. Or I think it's too quiet. Or the sound is too buzzy. This is too tinny. Like, I want a more bass sound. That is really fun. Or for instance, like the brake pedal, how it feels, um, we, we tune that, you know, you, you push on it and it pushes fluid out to the brakes, but how quickly it does that or how much effort that takes, that's what we get to have an influence on. So it's kind of a nutshell. That's kind of amazing. And I think electric cars. So I have heard this, I think actually I heard it on a podcast that someone was like, I like the, I like the noise of the speed and the, like and electric cars sometimes miss that a little bit, right? So mm-hmm. tweaking that to make give that feel and that vibe, but still transition over to that other side is crazy. Yeah, very astute, Kelly. Yeah, that's like that's kind of our job now of or what we stay up at night on is the electric cars can lose a little character, a little personality, you know, be a little clinical in how they operate. Um, and so how do you instill character and, and, uh, passion in those, because it's not just speed anymore, you know, like in the past, you know, if a car felt fast or is fast, there's a little bit of a, 
sensation you just get from that. But now, right, any electric car is pretty darn fast, no matter what they are. So there's got to be a way to instill spirit in them. That's the part that I think a lot of other manufacturers are wondering how it's going to work as well. We're kind of all in this together, you know? Do you study other manufacturers and what they're doing to help? I mean, we do that, right? I think any, you know, like I do that with my corporate job. Yeah. Do you guys have any spies at Tesla? You should definitely share that here. (laughs) Not that I know of. No, no. We have some folks that have left to go work there and and then have either come back or have stayed there. So, yeah, uh, we do a lot of benchmarking. Absolutely. And they other companies do as well uh, on our stuff. So, yeah, I mean, you kind of find, you know, that's a novel way to do something or kind of a neat answer. The whole uh, you get in your car and it drives you to work thing or you get in your car after the bar and it drives you home, you take a nap. Yeah. Like what's, what are your thoughts on that? That's obviously like mind blowing. Yeah. The autonomous vehicle yeah. side of things. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, I feel like GM's really at the forefront of that as well with our partnership with cruise automation in San Francisco. So ah. that was the proving ground for our autonomous vehicles. So driverless cars in the craziest streets in the world, right? In the craziest driving environment of hills and valleys and crazy turns and blind side, blind spots and blind turns. So um, we've got a leg up on that, I'd say. Oh, so you guys have a whole department working on that. You're just not in that department necessarily. Correct. Yeah. A whole wing of the company, in fact, has, has a responsibility for that. So that's a huge initiative as well. And the electric cars enable that. So basically, you know, they're uh, emission-free vehicles that take people where they need to go and the engineering behind all the radars and sensors to make that work is astounding. And and where I work here. It freaks me out, but I live in Worthington, Ohio. So, I mean, that would be. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's interesting as well. Like, um, I don't know that I'm ready for that either. It's a tough one because I love driving so much and it doesn't mean I can't do that. Some of us in the office will talk about, you know, like, I think there's always going to be a, a, a path or a, a market for what we work on because, you know, maybe people would commute in driverless cars, but then on the weekends you want to have your cake and eat it too so much. So yeah, I mean, a Corvette's meant to be driven. Why would you why would you have a Corvette and then not want to drive it? Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it's that's a tough sell, right? It's we do have a, a really neat feature though that every person that I've spoken with in and out of the company um is shocked at how much they like it. It's called Super Cruise. So that's where it's hands-free driving. It's not completely driverless you still have to be paying attention and if it senses you're not it will stop doing it taking over basically you have to take over but on a long road trip you know like if i was to drive from here to chicago um man it's fantastic it just takes the strain off takes the fatigue out and you can kind of just enjoy the ride a little more so that i could see going across our entire vehicle fleet because it's really that good. I mean, listen, there's magic to that. I mean, for California, the traffic is so ridiculous. And think about how much work you get done. You could get done if you were just like in a car for the ride and you could, we're all not multitasking. I shouldn't even say that loud, but we all know that we do multiple things while we're driving, whether it's a phone call or a meeting or a podcast or whatever. And like having the ability to do that in a safer way. Yeah, there's a, a huge appeal. I was um, in the Upper Peninsula last week for work, and I listened to some of your podcasts on the way up and back. Um, in the, I had a normal normal car, um, so it wasn't super cruise. But yeah, if you think about that, to try to, I don't know, spend the time um, learning about something new or enabling that, it's pretty huge. But for me personally, 
you know, I like to drive and um, enjoy that part of the trip where it's, it's fulfilling in the right car. Um, Aaron, so I'm going to ask you some stuff that I really wanted to ask you about just for us to catch up. But sure. the end question is, you know, for all those people out there, because this is about, you know, ordinary people doing extraordinary things is like if mm. somebody's listening out there who would love to kind of follow in your footsteps, like, you know, what would you say to them? But I kind of have this. I mean, it's not a huge regret, but I feel like there's a lot of people that I went to school with. And like we, Aaron, when were you at San Francisco? Like which grade do you first first? Okay. So you and I went to school together for 11 years. Yes. Yeah, we did. Because I was there for kindergarten. This is a long ass time actually, you know, because in a small town, like we just went from middle school, you know, like there was only like right. one or two schools to go to after grade school. And I, I kind of have this feeling with a lot of people, like why weren't we better friends. Like, why didn't I know anything about you? Like, I didn't know you had a passion for cars and it's not because Mm. I didn't want to. Right. I I don't know. Like, because I think back and like, you're just so, you're such a nice dude. And there were a lot of not nice dudes in her class. (laughs) Like you're a nice person. And, um, don't you think we create our own little bubbles in high school and like, we can't see outside of those little. I don't know. Like you get insecure and you don't like reach out to mm-hmm. other kids in your class to get to know them. Like I don't. And I was right. feeling like that for a lot of, you know, grade school to high school. Right. Yeah. Not wanting to yeah. like. I know. No, I hear what you're saying. Like we had 62 people in our class, right? You yeah. Like I should have known everybody way better. No, anyone, everyone very well. But I no, you kind of end up in your own little. Um, clicks, I guess. And I, yeah, I agree, Carrie. Like, I feel like I remember you know, your dad was a doctor and your brother, Chris, Like, I just, but I didn't know much more beyond that. Well, and I knew where you lived because we, we passed your house, like on the way, like you lived yeah, on that yeah. weird hill and my mom would try <laughs> yeah. to, my mom hated the highway. So she would go through that little neighborhood oh, through, yeah. all the time, <laughs> even in the snow. And we'd, we'd be like, Arr! <laughs> like up, up yeah. the snowy hill and I knew oh, yeah. you lived there and like um oh my god like I have no idea who did you even hang out with in school who was your who were your friends Kevin and Zach Zach Cobble and, okay and are you still in touch with these people oh yeah oh yeah, yeah. quite a bit yeah yeah um we see each other at least once a year I'd say oh that's so nice yeah and then Julie Julie's kind of the heart of the Julie whole class Randall's? okay so <laughs> yeah, the centerpiece yeah, I just have that thought because I'm like, why didn't, why didn't I? It, it doesn't I'm make any sure. sense to me. It's a comfort thing. You know, I think in, yeah. I, I, in, I see that with my daughter now, 13 and a half, almost 14. Like you just don't want to be different than anyone else. You just want to just blend, be average at everything, not different or, um, uh, I don't know. It takes a lot to be comfortable if you, are comfortable in your own skin being different. And I don't know it's putting yourself out. There's hard. Did you in high school, did you feel like I felt like, um, how do I put this? I felt like a popular nerd. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I did. I did. I, because like, I remember like I ran for student council president my senior year. No one ran against me. Like I was like, okay, it's easy. Right. But did you, how did you see yourself at, at that time you know i guess everything was so defined by sports for us yeah and um, were you in sports I think that was, yeah i guess not good enough to be remembered apparently <laughs> no i don't i don't remember did you play basketball did you play football yeah Mm-mm. i mean i mean all of us did cross <laughs> country basketball track. oh that's right you were like a runner no i remember that i remember that not like the premier sports but um I don't know. That just defined me since fourth grade. Basketball did. So that was kind of my um, characteristic, I guess you could say, as an athlete first. Um, You know, not pro level, but decent. So I guess that would be my first thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess studious, Mm -hmm. too, you know, kind of defining myself as kind of a nerd in that respect of 
caring about wanting to, to try to <laughs> do something in life. Yeah, I guess so. What would you say to those young people out there who think about um, this as a, you know, a life plan career? Yeah, no, I'm glad you got back to that, Carrie, because I, yeah, I do feel it's interesting. Um, I read, I think somebody sent this to me from my family about a young man in Newark that had a story, you know, some health issues in the advocate, the, the paper and uh, wa- loved cars, wanted to be involved with cars. And so I reached out through the advocate and said, Hey, I'll be happy to host him. If they can get to Michigan or heck I can even come to Ohio and bring, bring something good. And, but they, it never, I never got connected. <laughs> so it's kind of a, a bummer. Um, cause I was ready to, to do that. Like there's a passion within, um, you know, people that, that I love that fires me up. You know, when somebody, I see a car on the road that I worked on or for us, we're lucky, you know, Camaro Corvette car shows are massive and people just love them. And it's like, all right, I had a hand in a product somebody achieved and aspired to, and you know, they're not cheap. so that feels really rewarding to me. So I guess to answer your question, um, as one of my former bosses said, if you want to get into something like this, a French lit degree is not going to get you there. (laughs) So that one is probably not the path, but an engineering path certainly is the most common way to achieve like where I've gotten to, I guess. Um, Are you a mechanical engineer? Like technically? No, I studied industrial engineering in oh, Virginia Tech. Okay. So a little untraditional to get to this spot, uh, spot. That's more of a assembly plant kind of manufacturing job typically, but um, I get it's worked out for me. You know, I'm glad about that. I think for me, knowing how to drive um, in a high performance driving kind of capability helped where I could show like, I know how to handle a vehicle that was all because of growing up near mid Ohio and, and kind of knew, knew that background and gave me a leg up on some others perhaps. Um, but yeah, I guess engineering path, what I tell people from, from our company that are young and, and new, or even some like high school kids that will come in and, and learn about what we do at work is have an outside uh, passion that can help you prove yourself. So for instance, like dirt bike racing, go-karting, um, working on cars with your um, friends or your parents or your dad, kind of having this passion instilled in you that kind of gives you a mechanical aptitude, even if you, you know, maybe don't go down the engineering path, but having some sort of capability to an interest in how things work. You know, whether that's um, motor or electric motors now or gasoline engines in the past, I think that seems to be the best method to get into our type of group. And then I'd say the one thing that we're noticing is we hire a lot of software engineers now that maybe didn't, didn't have a lot of background in automobiles before. But the way our vehicles work now, right, somebody's got to write software to make it go forward and backwards instead of using a big lever to do that. Like it just doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, Kelly in your business, like are there, you wouldn't find too many people in it who don't have like a innate love for beauty. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, Oh, I work for a wellness brand now. So, but it has skincare. So, but yeah, I yeah. think mostly people in the round like have a, a love for it or an interest in it or or they don't want to learn about it and share it, right? Yeah, I feel like I feel like Aaron, what what might be part of the reason why you've gotten to where you've gotten after just talking to you and seeing your YouTube and stuff, is that um, you know, like you can tell that how the car sounds like makes you really happy. <laughs> you yeah. know, like you yeah. can tell. Yeah, that gets me going. That that passion is there. It does. That gets me going. And we see it with 
you know, the, the leaders in our company, they just love this stuff. And it's a, it's a fun business. You know, we can't really, I can't deny that, right. It's fun. It's challenging. You know, we talked about going through bankruptcy earlier and the highly sensitive to outside factors, you know, supply chain, environmental stuff, government stuff, um, competitive, heck, even, you know, there's some like weather things like the tsunami that hit Japan a few years ago, you know, wiped out some of our suppliers. And, and so then you got to scramble to find somebody to make the parts that allow you to make the vehicle and put it together. Like there's a lot of external factors that make it challenging, but boy, when you see it come together, my God, is it impressive and like rewarding for what we get to do. Yeah, there's not a lot of like final products that are so rewarding, I think. Mm -hmm. When the first one comes off the line, is that like, do you know about that specific, like, do you know about that moment when you've been such a big part of the car? We usually do. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And who's it going to? Who buys it? You know, sometimes I'll keep that private, but a lot of times we'll know. And you feel like, all right, we're going to, we're going to make this one extra good. (laughs) You know, I, I can't wait to hear the feedback from, um, you know, somebody famous who bought it or some, a, a, a true car, passionate person, Jay Leno comes to mind, right? Like you think of him and how his collection is second to none. So earlier I was thinking about Jay Leno and I thought about saying something about it. And then I was like, that's dorky. Like he, <laughs> well, because he has like a lot of Corvettes and Camaros. Is that why? Yeah, well, he's he's got a little bit of everything, mostly okay. Corvettes um, from our side, but he likes a lot of the older vehicles, and um, you know that's, that's somebody we have in mind. Let's say when we're building this, all right, somebody who's got the wherewithal to buy just about anything he wants. Yeah, and why is he going to pick this? You know, why would somebody, this person, choose this vehicle over another? And we know how to put that formula together to result in appealing to somebody who's, you know, wealthy enough to have just about anything in the world, really. And that's, that's pretty exciting, right? Like you make a product that somebody's like, Oh, I've got to have that. <laughs> and yeah. um, it's, I don't know in this day and age of like overload of everything. I think we still have a pretty special place in the world for this car. And what's neat um, on a sales pitch here is like Corvette is worldwide now. So we make uh, right-hand drive versions for the UK, for Japan, for Australia. That's never happened before. So, And when did that happen? Just with this latest generation. So 2021 was the first time. Wow. That is, that is a big change for it your is. company. Yeah. Yeah. Like the fact that that was invested in and chosen where it's a world car now, that's huge for us. This last one that you worked on, the E-Ray. The tw- 20, what, 2024? Four, yep. So how long, like, A to Z, were you on that project? Well, my part, um, five years, I'd say. Oh, uh, okay. And I was on the periphery of that a little bit. I was more connected with the Corvette Z06, which is uh, just came out last fall. Um, that's the one that the sound you probably are, are alluding to. Of That one is kind of my dream car. Um, but yeah, for our, for our typical part of the vehicle, it's about two years out of the process, but this car was dreamed up 10 years ago, probably of, Hey, let's put a battery in there and a motor and make the front axle spin like the rear. And that one that you're talking about your dream car, how much Mm -hmm. does it, um, what's the sticker price? 106,000 is where it starts. (laughs) Yeah, you know where to find me if you want, and I can help. (laughs) Do you guys still make standard cars or are they all automatic? Camaro and the Blackwing that I mentioned that I have are the last two. So it's kind of sad. The Corvette now is all, it's a dual clutch automatic, which is a really fantastic automatic. But yeah, no more clutch and shifter. Because people just don't drive it anymore and you can't sell as many? Yeah, it's it's a tough sell for us. Um, typically, it's like twenty percent of the model, maybe fifteen to twenty. 
So it's what all of us would want and what I you would purchase, but the the dollars and cents don't always add up on it, unfortunately. Um, so it's a tough, tough one, but we'll keep building these last few uh, while we can. Cal, do you drive a stick? Can you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever taught. I never got, I never got taught. I never learned. I practiced uh, around sad. the Newark, Ohio state branch with someone's car that. Oh yeah. Have, but. <laughs> yeah. That branch was probably the home to all kids. <laughs> <laughs> that that branch was home to a lot of kids doing a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, I imagine so. <laughs> and I think my like five-year-old Montessori school is right across the street. You guys, that town is so small. I went there too. Oh, yes. yeah, right by um, Granville Road, the intersection or Church Street. You guys, my podcast listeners, if you knew how small this small town is that we came out of you would be so impressed that there are we i mean there's actually quite a bit of successful people it coming is out of this crazy small ass it town. is crazy aaron how many people we've had on here who are like who are from who there. are really doing things. really like legitimately. that's awesome i mean we've got that's a awesome. world-class supermodel coming out of newark ohio newark uh newark high oh yeah trey 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 griley did you know trey griley? i don't know if you know him Wait, like he went to North, didn't he go to North Catholic for a hot minute? Yes, for a hot minute. But I think he's like two years older than us or something yeah. like that. No, he lived by me. Yeah, yeah. Up on the hill. Yeah. Yeah. Up on the hill. I remember. Uh, <laughs> he now owns a hot yoga studio in Columbus that he likes to like hang out there sometimes while he's not in the Caribbean on his underwear commercials. No kidding. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Jeez. I mean, I didn't know him at all, but um, I, name, so yeah. I'm very you, impressed Aaron, sometimes. Trey, us. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right. major magic covered. right there. Thank you so much to Aaron Link for being here today. If you want to check out the cars he's worked on and, uh, and some videos. There's tons of YouTube out there on him. I will link a couple. One with uh, our good friend Jay Leno, um, where they were at his garage talking about cars. It's so cool. All right, guys, uh, please opt in for our email list and please honor us with a five star rating and review. Anywhere you get us, please, it means so much to us. Just smash the five stars and uh, leave us a sentence. We appreciate you forever. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much to Asa Walken, sound engineer. And we'll see you guys next time over and out. This is Greener Grass Podcast with Digit Podcasts.